0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books and Film, a podcast series on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Pete Kunze. My guest today is Courtney Brennan-Donahue, Assistant Professor in the Department of Media Arts at the University of North Texas, and the author of The Value Gap, Female-Driven Films from Pitch to Premiere. The book was published by University of Texas Press in 2023. Good afternoon, Courtney. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Pleasure is mine. Um, so to begin, can you tell us a bit about your background and your training?
1: I mean, it depends on how far you want me to go back. Uh, <laughs> um,
0: Whatever the you quick think answer,
1: <laughs> yeah, the quick answer is, uh, I was an undergrad and I studied biomedical science and <laughs> I took a film class for fun. And then I realized how much I love doing research and writing. Um, and I and I looked back at like my, you know, growing up and that was like the thing that kind of. Was uh, the inspiration or the motivation behind a lot of my my studies as a student? Um, so I studied English and film as an undergrad. I went to Texas A and M, and Maggie's, and then I jumped ship uh, for the rival school, UT Austin, and I got my master's and PhD there in the uh, Radio Television and Film department. I was at glo- I focused mostly on global media and the media industries, and so I was doing work on. The Brazilian film industry, particularly during a time of the commercialization of the industry and Hollywood coming in and taking advantage of certain film policies um, that encourage international investment and partnerships. And so I was doing field work. I was going to Brazil. I was interviewing folks in the film industry. um, And I was doing I was very interested in this relationship between and complicating the ideas around uh, the global and the local um particularly in this uh type of production strategy uh, or model that hollywood calls the local language production which is very much right from this american english language centric viewpoint that english is lo- is global and the rest of the world is you know like local um so i did a comparison uh, looking at sony pictures and some of the local language productions they were doing they had a, they had a office in brazil they had an office in spain and i was go- i was doing field work in both places and interviewing folks in the film industry there who were who were producing and partnering with sony in those locations and also the local managers and production director or the directors of, of production in, at the studios um, And so that's kind of where i i got my start as somebody this this kind of tension between the global and the local and hollywood and um, industries in latin america and europe
0: And I'm curious, um, how do you see that kind of informing the work you do in the value gap, where it seems your attention shifts to a U.S. context, but I imagine you imagine continuities there. I'm curious what you saw yourself doing as this project kind of evolved, I imagine, from your earlier project.
1: Yeah, so I think part of it comes with my training. Uh, a lot of us who went to UT Austin for grad school, which you did as well, Pete, um, we talk about how we were very much uh, interested in the tools and the questions and less about, um, you know, we, we're, we only do this media sector, we only look at this industry we only do this. And so um, when I was doing fieldwork in Brazil and Spain, and I was interviewing folks, middle management executives, um, both in Brazilian companies and who were Brazilians who worked for the Sony, worked at the Sony office in both locations or Sp- uh, Spanish uh, professionals who worked at that office. I started, I, in the back of my mind, I was like, huh, I'm talking to a lot of middle-aged white guys. Um, and so I, th- I would, I, I think I was so surprised the time I talked to a VP and, um, oh who was a woman um because i expanded this project for beyond this dissertation into my first book called localizing hollywood um and localizing hollywood was looking at um different case studies from the major studios at the time formerly known as vox uh warner brothers sony paramount um and i was and universal and i was thinking about um the local language strategies in seven different markets and so i did field work the first book, I expanded the dissertation, and I was looking at you know the number of studios in a number of markets in Brazil, uh, Mexico, and a couple in a couple of, in, num- a couple of uh, markets in Europe. And so I started seeing beyond just Sony and beyond just two markets. I was looking across seven markets. I was looking across uh, multiple Hollywood studios, local offices. Um, I was looking at their partners and local offices, um, and I was talking to people who were based in LA, and basically. You know, outside of like the local Brazilian or the local German or the local uh, Spanish um, production companies or distributors, looking only at the Hollywood studios, it was mostly men in these positions of power. Um, And so it wasn't surprising, but I also was really interested when I did get to talk to a woman who was a VP or a country manager for one of the offices. And I I would ask, I would like slip in little questions about, you know, working, the, the kind of gendered experiences, women working in these spaces, Uh, the kind of differences between, you know, you're working for a Hollywood company, but it's a local office and you're also working for the local industry. And so very often the women would not answer my question. They would, uh, well, I don't really think of myself as a woman uh, manager or um, a vice president. I'm just a vice president and this is what I do. And I work in marketing and they like spin the answer or they spin their response. Um, And, you know, there's many reasons I go into the book for this, because I was seeing that later in Hollywood too, when I was, I was doing interviews with, um, certain women or some, some, some of the women I, I talked to, but long story short, um, it, it was like planted a seed. So planted a seed thinking, okay, this is a question like where are all the women working in the Hollywood studios, either locally or like internationally or, or in the U domestically. And how does this impacting the kind of creative and financial decision making what's being made, what's being greenlit? whose stories can be told, who's, you know, um, overseeing a lot of these, these projects. And so it just kind of, I just sat on it for a while. Um, but I do see myself as I look at the global media industries, but I also like my methods and my focus is production and distribution cultures. I'm very, very interested in that, um, in between space that, um, the, the kind of, uh, helicopter view of the industry, the mid-level view of the industry that Sarah Tenich and Tim Havens and Amanda Lotz wrote about in an article that was very influential in terms of my early work in grad school. Um, and so I'm interested in like, how do you look at what's going on in, and structurally and industry-wide, but how do you also look what's happening in an institution or on a very particular film or within a company um, in a kind of more interpersonal, uh, I- individual way? And so, how do you do both of those things at once? And so, that's ultimately like the dissertation to the first book, localizing, localizing Hollywood to the value gap. It kind of, those are those are my threads.
0: So uh, you asked the question I wanted to ask, which is. Uh, as we were well-trained to ask at Texas, which is, how do you study something as important, pervasive, macro as gender and gender inequities in the film industry? Or how did you decide to design? What was your research process?
1: It was not easy. Um, I think that there is definitely a trend. um, Among some folks I know that when you get to the second book, you're like, okay, I, if you wrote your first book based on your dissertation, you had that momentum. You had all those years you were build, able to build on it. Or it was, you know, maybe some pretty similar to what you wrote your dissertation on. With the second book, you can do something whatever you want. Like you can you can build on it. You can start over. You can do doing a project. And so I, I was like, I'm going to do something with through the same lens, but I'm going to ask different questions, and I'm going to do all the things. And so for me, I think I was. I mean, I look back and I was overly ambitious for this project. I was originally it was going to be global. Like I was going to do, I did, I did, I did field work, um, in Sweden and Ireland. I've been doing, you know, I've been going to Toronto for the festival for, uh, almost 10 years now. And so I've been talking to people in, in the Canadian film industry. And so I was thinking about like how the, originally the book was going to be, yeah, it's Hollywood, but it's going to be these, like, how do we talk about gender and different inequities and, and, uh. And, and women's experiences in different film industries, um, and then COVID hit. So I was like, oh, I can't do follow up. Like I couldn't do the deep dive and the follow up interviews that I like to do. I couldn't spend a lot of time on the ground, and it just I and and again, it was it was too unwieldy. Like it was just too much. And so I think that ultimately you have to keep refining. It's like what I tell I talk with grad students and undergrads about research projects. You have to be refining and refining and refining. Like yeah, I had this big question to start with. But as I went along, I started kind of giving myself um, like I couldn't get access to this or I couldn't get this person to talk to me or I the access I did get followed me. I, I went into a new direction. And so I think a lot of it's just being flexible, adaptable and uh, knowing, you know, like I was on a timeline, like I was going up for tenure at my university uh, and I wanted to get this book needed to be out. And so it's a lot of those things. And so for me, it's like, you know, it's not just the story I want to tell. Because trust me, I could have worked on this book for 15 years. I had a lot more things that I wanted to put in it. So a lot of it was just what I had access to, what I had time to do. Um, And then ultimately, like, what I found to be the most interesting things coming out of my conversations with them in the film industry. And that's ultimately how I focused. But from the beginning, honestly, the book always was going to be about thinking about the film industry and about the filmmaking process as this kind of wide, um, like this wide, I guess, holistic, I don't know if that's the right word, um, looking at the kind of broader, like there's so many books that talk about just women directors or maybe screenwriters or movies that are just taught or movies. There we go. Uh, Distribution, uh, a book just talking about distribution. Um, So the idea for me, I wanted it to not just be like, well, gender, the, there are no women, there, or there aren't enough women directing movies at the Hollywood studios and just look at that one kind of silo of the film industry or there aren't, or, or conversations around film festivals, right? Like how many women are being programmed in Sundance versus like um, Cannes or Venice or something. And I, I was like, I was like, there's, there's threads here. There are connections. And I want to somehow find a way to use case studies to show that it's not just one area of the film industry. It's not just one kind of um part of the development to production to marketing to distribution project of a film like it's there are hurdles and there are challenges that are faced at every single phase so i structured the book to be around de- to, to kind of go through different examples at each phase of a filmmaking process so development uh, or employ first employment development um production film festivals marketing and distribution
0: yeah it's incredibly rich and comprehensive in that way and I broke a sweat a little bit when I saw the table of contents because of the kind of ambitious scale you're covering. And yet, in each chapter, the way that you move between you know, context, some of the statistical information, your interview data, the case studies, I think that there's, there's so much to take away from, from this book. Um, one of the organizing principles of it, of course, as we see from the title, is this notion of the female-driven film. Um, Can you offer us a a working definition of that?
1: I can give you a definition, uh, working definition. I used in the book. I think that's kind of evolving uh, the the term female-driven film. So I, I I had, you know, I'd been interested in um, movies that were like female-driven, and so the way that I thought about this in terms of me as a as a female audience member and the types of movies I liked and also kind of conversations in the trades. um, That's, that was something that made me kind of focus on the female driven film. So the way that, that a producer first told me when I first started doing interviews about 2016 um, for this project, she said, okay, the way we think about female driven films varies depending on who you're talking to in the industry. uh, And, and depending on what moments, because a female driven film in 2016 is very different than it is the context in 2024, but the rough, the, Long way of saying this is uh, it's a movie directed, written, and or produced um, and centered on a female protagonist or, a, you know, a female characters. And so there's a it doesn't have to be all women, um, but women have to be involved in, in some aspect above the line in the creative and financial decision making process. And that's the way I kind of frame it. Um there are some movies I talk about in the book that are directed by men, but they are produced, starring and directed towards women. Um, so there's, you know, there's a kind of, there's like a formula. Um, but it's, uh, it's interesting and it's very clear in the trades when people talk about female driven films or female targeted films, something that's targeted towards women. Um, but yeah, so it's an interesting term and, um, it's, I kind of trace, at least for my own kind of research, I trace the term emerging in the Hollywood trades in the mid-2000s, mid to late 2000s, when you start to see this kind of boom, these commercial box office successes of a handful of of, um, mostly mid-budget movies. And so you start to see the kind of turn away from, yeah, people still use rom-com. They still use chick flick. They're still using these terms that are more genre-specific, um, but now you're seeing kind of female driven and it's a common there's a pretty common term in the trades now in talking about in the industry. So, Courtney,
0: there's a lot of payoffs, I think, to your book. And, and one of the things that really struck me and I really valued in my own reading of it was that at the outset, you note that the tendency among academics when talking about diversity in Hollywood in the broad scope of things Um, that often unfolds in this kind of statistical way or this content analysis way, right? We counted the number of um, LGBT characters or um, women spoke 60% of the time or 12% of the time. Um, It's often done very numerically, right? Um, And I think you offer a pointed critique of like the limits of that kind of work for teaching, understanding, redressing uh, diversity. Could you talk more about that and and how important that was for your study?
1: This is a good question. This was definitely a driving force of this project. Um, Yeah, I mean, first of all, I just want to say that the scholars doing quantitative data studies led the way, and they did a lot of work and a lot of heavy lifting um, in terms of getting the, helping to shift the industry conversation. And also just the popular conversation, the everyday conversation. So having those numbers out there and, you know, documentaries, like half the picture and this changes everything. These were really, really important moments in the late, the, the late 2010s. Um, so I, I absolutely, and I use, I continue to cite and and use some of the data um, out with throughout the book to kind of give some like broad macro level context. However, I'm a qualitative researcher and I was trained to do um, discourse analysis. I was, I was trained in global media and cultural studies. Uh, I was trained to do, you know, I, I, I kind of uh, developed my toolbox to be in uh, interviews and participant observation and field work and very much interested in that. So I think what came down to it, the quantitative data studies as much as they were like, okay, we're giving you a broad macro level picture of the number four percent was being thrown around a lot in the late 2010s, early 2020s about only four percent of uh, the top hundred or whatever—I'm going to mess, mess up the statistic—of um, of box office grossing movies in in domestically are directed by women, and so that is absolutely a shocking and horrifying number. At the same time, I have like 20 follow-up questions to that macro level like broad statistic of of the four percent right like what are you t- how do you think about the 96 versus the four percent so as a qualitative researcher it, it, the these studies were not um we a starting point and i kind of talk about that that they helped to put pressure they helped to broaden the conversation they helped to do some some do, do, they did the work that they did and they continue you know to to do that however for me who you know i want to talk to people about their experiences and the lived kind of lived everyday experiences, textures and the complicated, very, very complicated um, path to entering and trying to build a sustainable film making career in particularly in Hollywood, that data wasn't doing it for me. And so for me, I, I have a section in one of the chapters where I'm talking about, yes, employment's important because so often the data is focused on employment, but how do, that's a snapshot. Like how do we move beyond the snapshot of somebody being a director in one year or somebody being hired and working for a company in that one year. Like how do we move beyond the sna- snapshot and we think longitudinally, how do we think about the ebbs and flows and the various experiences of uh, individual women or um, film th- female driven films in Hollywood. And that's why uh, my, my methodology, I think was a complement to, right? Like the quantitative data studies are a part of it. The employment studies are part of like their important context, but I wanted to ask more nuanced questions and that's something that i talk about in the book and i kind of push back a little bit on the on those folks um doing that um but i also say that you know like it's important i see them in kind of conversation with each other
0: and so interviewing as a method is is incredibly fascinating to me i think it's the most fun method um but i'm i'm interested to hear what you personally enjoy or maybe some of the challenges of it right because many of the people you're talking to i imagine all of them are active in the industry. And you mentioned earlier in our conversation today the tendency to kind of um, downplay one's positionality in explaining the work they do. So how, how do you personally negotiate spin or um, you know those challenges outlined by other scholars like John Caldwell when we're getting that kind of um, industrially sanctioned narrative, right? Or even a, a desire to kind of, protect oneself and um the pressure you probably felt as a researcher to protect your your interviewees. There's six questions there. So pick a couple and you like These to are answer all, them.
1: They're <laughs> all beautiful questions. They're all great. Yeah. I mean this was also something that was really important to me as well. Like so because I started doing interviews during my dissertation work, my research for and during grad school, um I I want to shout out to one of my advisors, Joe Straubauer, um, who's had been doing field work and audience research and interviews for a long time. And um, I was, I, I, he really gave me such great advice and helped kind of when I had questions or I had a roadblock or in um, particularly Brazil, which is an area that he spent lived in and spent a lot of time working in um, the Brazilian um, film and television industries. And so having that kind of mentorship um, that was very specific, like I, I never took an ethnography class. I never did any type of, Methods we didn't do much of that, so it was something I had to learn on my own. And I like to think I'm an extrovert, (laughs) and I like to I'm I'm very curious and chatty. Uh, The the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, I get this from my mother. Uh, So it just it's something that for me, I love talking to people. I love understanding where they're coming from. I love asking questions. I love trying to figure things out and find patterns. And so interviewing for me is just it's a pleasure because you get to be with that person and. They share things with you about their professional lives and sometimes personal lives. Um, and it's it's, it's, an, it's like a real privilege. And also it's just really fascinating because you know as academics we're in the classroom and we're here we're like you know reading books and writing and doing our research and being able to talk to live people who are doing the thing that they do uh, is just it's a, it's incredible. Um, so there's that part of it. So I, it was something that I kind of learned over time. It was just I developed my own style um I, I get graduate students asking me advice for how do you do this and for me it was just like it had to be natural like i, I had to just be myself and also just be really well prepared like you just have to be prepared um but also the, the big question is always access like how do you get access to these people i did not work for a hollywood studio i was living in austin or, or i was living outside of detroit or now i'm living outside of dallas so i'm not in a center for of a hollywood like, center. Um, so a lot of it for me, access was the one of the biggest challenges. Um, I was very lucky for my first book, my um, distribution, mean, my first book. I mean, I've, I, I lived in Brazil some in grad school. I spoke Portuguese. I, it was a lot different navigating that space as an American who is uh, either a grad student or a brand new professor who's studying the industry versus a woman in the U.S. who is now trying to get and you right, think about all the industry dynamics that are different in terms of it with Hollywood as well and the cultures and everything. So I found that at first it was very, very difficult people to get people to talk to me for the value gap, very difficult. Um, and talk to me on the record. So many conversations were background conversations. So, um, I would just take really good notes. I would follow up with people. Um, I'd ask them for, you know, the snow, ask them for, can you recommend anybody? The snowball effect was huge for me. Um, because it I mean the way I think about it this way is that there was the moment before me too and then there was a moment after me too I started doing interviews and just conver- conversations because I, I they' very loose loose interviews um, in 2016 for this project when me too emerges and starts to ha- and, and things are changing I'm finding that women are more likely to go on the record and they more feels more urgent the conversation is more urgent and so I got a lot of um You know, I I talked to an independent producer who then introduced me to three other producers, uh, a screenwriter who had introduced me to two other screenwriters, Um, and so there was a different kind of like they were contributing and they would we we would talk about it. They'd be like, "Thank you for some of them. Thank you for doing this." And um, it was it was always like a centering their experience and their stories, but also protecting them in the same time. So when I did get access, like going up to your question of how do I protect. These, you know, the, the procurity and also the sensitivity and the, 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 the information they're giving me that can be very personal. And so that was something that I, I was not, again, not trained to do this. So I just talked to each, you know, I talked to other scholars who, um, who had who've done industry interviews. Um, but I also talked to each individual women and what they were comfortable with. Um, I always asked if, you know, if if I can quote you, I will follow up. And I will ask for your permission to let you read it, because while some of the, you know some of the women were you know like a Hollywood screenwriter who's I got to watch over five years become very successful um, and, and and kind of move up to higher budget blockbusters, um, I've talked to a lot of women in the independent sector and um, kind of smaller budget area who you know they were nervous about what they could and couldn't tell me, and uh, so that, there's that piece of it, and the other piece is the spin um i i mean it's like (laughs) after a while like this is something i talk to my students about a lot in my i teach media industries classes and i talk to my students a lot about this like where what is this person's stake in their this conversation or this or 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 how they're representing themselves or why what would their motivations be and so you always kind of have to like step back and think about that um but at the same time um, yeah, I, I just, I, I kind of had to do both at once. I had to protect them and reassure them and also, um, kind of give them space, whatever they want to talk about some, some way I had very personal conversations with some women and things that will never appear in research. And then I had very like, just, here's a timeline of how, I, uh, of, of the, my career. That's it. You know, very, so you spend it it's on the person and how much they're willing to open up to me. Um, so, um, you know, it, the, the spin varied basically. Um, and then I think, did I get all your questions? <laughs> I think so.
0: I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the other thing I'm just kind of wondering about, and this is, this is a new question, um, is so then you're, you're using this, this interview data, you're using your field work, you're using, um, you know, tr- tracking discourses in the trade press and whatnot, um, and then you're offering us these kinds of uh, you're identifying gaps or you're theorizing these gaps, right? So, I think the obvious question here is 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 what is the value gap and and the gap as a as a as a construct for understanding inequities in in the industry?
1: That's a really good question. I thought about that from the beginning, middle, and end of my book, uh, and then when I had to go back and revise the introduction, I was like, I hope this makes sense. Uh, I so the value comes from a conversation I had with a independent producer that was um, a friend of mine. Uh, I'd seen I think one one of her movies premiere at a major international film festival, and then the following year she had I think one or two others um, at another major international festival. So she was very like very much actively working in this kind of space. Um, in in this kind of like very exclusive right film festival space and her career was going really well and she was making connections and she was, but she talked a lot about the, the problem of the next project, um, the problem of um, the kind of uh, lag that happens with producers or directors or uh, women coming off of successful film festival premieres. And so she was, I remember her telling me this was 2016. I remember her telling me that, um, she would go in, she was pitching some, this is actually the introduction of the book. She was pitching a, I don't know, it was maybe one or two, maybe $2 million. Like this is, this is independent level $2 million movie. Um, that was a rom-com kind of friendship movie about, I think they were middle-aged, um, middle-aged women. And, um, it's kind of like, uh, something's got to give like, like, So it's in that kind of like vein. And she kept going to different um, production companies and, or sorry, she's producer. She kept going to different um, financiers and talking to different um, studios and saying that she kept her in the same thing over and over again. Like, well, can you make her younger? Like, can she be like 30? Can you get a Reese Witherspoon type in here? Yeah, this, this story just doesn't have value. This character doesn't have value. She has no value. And she kept hearing this over and over again. And so that to me, I was like, and so she was just telling me like value. That's that's it. She's like, Chase, how this idea of value and how it's very much seen differently um, for female driven versus male driven movies or by male executives or it, it, she's like in the development process, but also, and, you know, in terms of conversation around the box office. And so I was thinking about the box office, she was thinking about development and I was like, okay, value, that's it. And so when I started talking to other producers, um, cause that was the first kind of group I started talking to uh, they were like, yeah, I hear that all the time. Yeah. She has no value. Oh yeah. We hear that all the time. And so I was thinking, okay, I'm onto something because typically in interviews, when you start to see patterns and things that's you know you chase the pattern at least that's that's one of my strategies you, yeah and um that's another thing that um joe straw taught me so shout out to joe Uh, And so that's that's ultimately I started thinking about value, and I was like, okay, value. And then I was reading a lot of film studies literature and television, or you know, television scholarship, and on the soap opera or the romantic comedy and how these are valued and how they're derided and how they're devalued and how they're not um, taken as seriously in Hollywood as uh, you know, like a like a World War II. War movie or a spy movie. And so I was thinking about that, like how does value um, operate within Hollywood? How does that impact or how are female driven films valued or devalued in different ways and at different kind of parts of the filmmaking process? And so the value came first, the gaps came later. Honestly, that just came from thinking about Mind the Gap. And so I was thinking about how are women navigating these gaps or are these challenges, these barriers, whatever they're facing, whether it's somebody telling them they need to, like, swap the gender. Like, uh, I'd really, uh, yeah, the script's great, but can you just, like, make it a man? Can you, like, can you add a love interest? Um, so I started thinking that, that, again, in development or the way that things are marketed um, in terms of. Well, that's great that women like it, but if you can bring the men too, if, then 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 that's that's a then that then it's worth it. Let's hit. That's that's you know that's um that's bankable. So um that's kind of where the the gap came from as I started thinking about the kind of barriers and the kind of trying to deal with all these challenges not only in their careers throughout the, from between film to film, but also within just the lifespan of a film from the I, from the script and and through the development phase till till it's actually distributed. And so that was the kind of where the gaps came from. Um, yeah.
0: And then how does the concept of risk come in here? Right. I mean, because it, it, it seems if I'm piecing together how you're understanding it from my own reading of the book, um, this is all part of industry lore, right? <laughs> like how much of this is actually defensible beyond some box yes. office numbers in a given year?
1: Yes, industry lore, I am indebted to Tim Havens. Like I use that in all of my research. Uh, I love thinking about the idea of lore and how certain narratives, certain kind of um, ways of knowledge kind of existing in Hollywood that may have been based on some type of material evidence like box office data or um, distribution um, kind of data or something like that in in the past that continues to just persist. Um, There's that, right? Uh, He's written quite a bit about, like, uh, black television um, and how the idea of, like, well, black television shows or sitcoms don't travel, and that idea of that black films don't travel um, for decades and decades in Hollywood. And I was thinking about that in terms of, like, how does that work for female-driven films? So this idea around perceived value, how uh, – there, you know, I was going through the trades, and I was reading – Again, you know, they, I take it with a grain of salt because it's, you know, distrib- distribution executives talking to trades, which they're very, you know, trained well to do. Um, but in the two thousands, like even the early two thousands, um, late nineties, them talking about, well, you know, female driven, like they didn't, well, they weren't calling female driven films then, but like, you know, this this rom com or this 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 girls movie is, uh, um, it's really it's word of mouth, like it, it's it's you know it's not four quadrant. If it doesn't bring out the boys, then you know, and so there, there's a lot of conversations around, like, the female audiences, the girl audiences, the teen, whatever, are not enough. Like, they're not enough. Even if they make something a hit. uh, So they're devalued in that way. Um, thinking Um, So there's industry law on that. Like, uh the big – there was the, – for decades, there was conversations in the trades and even talking to people who work in the industry that just this – uh the lore around or the kind of the knowledge, right, that's been created that they hold on to, that the kind of – uh, oh, big box up, op- big box office opening weekend. So like, something you know, like uh, like a James Bond movie is going to open really, really big and do really, really well, and um, or whatever male-driven Marvel movie from the first phase. Um, and uh, that's that's what brings people out. That's a, that's a four-quadrant movie for audiences. That's that's a huge spectacle, and that's what's going to you know that's what makes money. That's a global hit, as opposed to the word-of-mouth slow like. You may get some women, they may bring their, their dates. Again, it's like very heteronormative, right? This idea of the even way they're in in reductive way of thinking about audiences. Um, But they're just not valued in the same way. Um, So audiences and then as well as the movies themselves. Um, So there's, there's that, I mean, that, that kind of the lore, there's also the lore, which I talk about, which, you know, other people have talked about this. It's, it's kind of very well like discussed in Hollywood and like this, this, or, you know, the industry and, and just, you know, in publications that there was lore going around about women's experiences. And so like what the, like the, the experience or the interest or whatever, like, well, the reason there aren't women directing Jurassic park movies, or the reason there aren't women directing star Wars movies is because they don't have the experience on big budget movies like men do, or they don't have the interest. Like they're not interested in that. There's, there's some like famous uh, trade quotes that I pull out and use. Um, so there's that also lore that circulates as well um, that is infuriating. Um, and I think it's shifted a little bit um because we do see women directing bigger budget movies now. Um, but it's been, you know, it's it's still very much like, well, you know, there aren't enough women to direct movies, these big budget movies. So we're, you know, you still see like um directors' lists in the studios. They're still they're they're from what I've heard, they're still very, very male dominated.
0: And, and just for those um, listeners who may not be familiar with the term, can you explain four quadrant real quick?
1: Yes, um, it is the way it's like the four boxes that traditionally the studios have thought about. I mean, streaming has changed everything. So I'm just I don't even I don't I don't really I I, I draw the line in my book. We're, we're talking about theatrical Just uh, theatrical distributed films in the book Uh, Four Quadrant is over 25, under 25 So those are two quadrants And the other two are male and female audiences And so the idea of Four Quadrant is like a huge hit Like it's a Harry Potter movie It's a Fast and
0: Furious movie It's, yeah Yeah,
1: It turns out a Barbie movie
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I was uh I had only come across it more recently when I was talking with an animation executive uh, and she articulated it in terms of like thinking in, in her area of the industry that's like children, teenagers, young adults, who I think would be us, I hope. I flatter myself that in our in our uh and then like the older crowd, like the middle aged and, and later folks. Um, but you know, thinking that these things can somehow be kind of um designed to succeed, right? Kind of speaks to your the points you're making about risk and value in the industry. Um, one of the things you also kind of emphasized at the outset, too, is your investment in an intersectional framework. Um, can you talk about how race and ethnicity inflects what you found in your interviews and your research?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it was something from the very, very beginning that was important to me, that we weren't just going to have another focus about Hollywood. Um, filmmaking. Um, So it wasn't just like talking to white female filmmakers. Although those are the majority of women who are working in the studio system. Like the one the the gains on a side note, the gains that have been made in the past like eight years. A lot of it's been by by white female filmmakers. Um, Yeah, so for me, I mean, part of it is thinking about okay, we can't just think about the barriers and just say all, like that was one of my frustrations with the data studies, um, the early couple of years in the 2010s uh, when I was looking at them was that it was flattening uh, female audiences into like all of everyone, not taking into account um, other kind of intersectional identities. And so just knowing and talking to, and I mean, being being a scholar of the industries, um, you know, thinking about this in terms of, you um, and also also side note, thinking about Kristen Warner's work, which has been very influential to me, thinking about how not all women experience the kind of um marginalization and uh the same way in the industry or the opportunities in the same way in the industry. Um, so I, it was it came out, you know, very much in the conversations I was having, who's talking to me. Um, but yeah, I absolutely for me, it was very, very important to think about the intersection of gender and race because talking to a Latinx screenwriter who, who's based um, in, a, in a state nearby, I'll just say that, um, and her experiences and the types of stories that she was wanting to tell and and being told that by a white male executive again and again that, you know, like I nobody's really interested in hearing, in, in, a, in a Mexican woman as the protagonist. Like the, there's no audience for that. Um, in a very commercial and bankable genre like she's being she was being told that over and over again that's a very different uh those are very different experiences um than say for example uh a white woman who was trying to sell uh a movie about um uh, uh, the rom-com that i mentioned before like the the, the like a rom-com friend friendship movie um, so yeah, I mean, I think part of it's just like thinking about value and how value is more complicated than you have to, you can't just look through the lens of gender and you can't, and thinking about opportunities and barriers and, and, and inability to, or ability to build a sustainable career and what that looks like for women in the industry. Um, it just wasn't, it, it, I wanted to tell a more, uh, nuanced story. But I will say that it was difficult um, in terms of, you know, like I, I I, think I say this in the introduction, that I, maybe like uh, two thirds of the women I interviewed were white women and one third were uh, women of color um, who were either Asian American, um, Latinx or, or black women. Um, and that was something that when I started to get into these social and professional groups, there were some white women who would only introduce me or were only kind of professionally connected to other white women or that you know, and so I, I talked to one producer who was very, uh, we had long conversations about this. She was very, uh, um, we, I not, I want to say strategic, strategic, but she was very much like, I'm going to give you a variety of people to talk to. I want, and I was like, absolutely. Let's, let's do that. Um, so there, you know, that, that, that as well. Um, so, I'm not art- I'm not articulating this very well, but it was just something that was very, very important from the beginning that this wasn't a story about white women in Hollywood. It's even though that I, that's what I had access to for like two thirds of the of the group. And that also is a mirror reflecting, right, like the industry like was I, I was really trying not to recreate the problem that the industry was having in terms of the intersection of gender and race.
0: No, I think that that's something many of us who do media industry studies are are deeply invested in as well um and and i appreciate the section in in, uh, i believe the chapter on development where you talk about the screenwriter who refers to herself as being treated like soy sauce right to just kind of come in and and add some some cultural flavor um to the work of of her white male colleagues right and how demoralizing that is in addition to um, her compensation Um, can we talk about bankability and 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 the bankable and, and this this concept you offer of um the amnesia loop in particular um and how this kind of lore um circulates in hollywood to the detriment of uh young women creatives
1: yeah, this is some. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, this was something that I think was probably with the first chapters I had in my brain. Like this is because I I'd, I'd written some conference papers or whatever. I was very interested in around the time in the late two thousands, early twenty tens about these like I kept reading trade articles, and all these people, all these studio executives, whether it was at Warner Brothers or wherever they were, or New Line, Sex and the City is an example of this when it the, the movie that came out in two thousand eight um, that were just like. Surprised, And they weren't embarrassed that they were surprised. And they were actually quoted in trades, people who were representing this movie, and they were surprised that it did as well as it did. And I'm like, first of all, you should be embarrassed that you're like saying this. Um, But yeah, so that was the bankability aspect was something I've been thinking about for a while now, Um, that I just kept seeing the same conversations happening in the trades over and over again. And so the last chapter on distribution marketing, that's the one that's less in interview individual focused and more I'm thinking about like systems and practices and like dis- discursive patterns and cycles. Um, and so I just kept thinking like, that, oh, it's happening again. Oh, it's happening again. And it usually looks like a concept that kind of or a term I came up with. I think I want to do something else with it because I think it's useful. It's not just we can talk about this intersectionally in many ways. Um, but uh, this idea that there is a movie like Twilight there is a movie like Sex in the City. There's a movie like Bridesmaids that is uh, those were all kind of modest, mid-budget priced uh Twilight was at the beginning. And um there have the the studios that are actually right, like releasing them have pretty like modest expectations because of this like lore and this devaluation of female audiences and 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 their performance at the box office. So bankability is just a term in the industry about. Is this person bankable? Is this franchise bankable? Does it does it? how? And this is, again, theatrically distributed. Is is it going to do well at the box office? Um, and so um, I was noticing, you know, I was, I was reading those trade articles over the years just saying, like, these people who were surprised, they underestimate it. It does really well. Everybody's really excited. So you get a whole new wave of articles that say, oh, this is amazing look how well, this is breaking box office numbers. Uh, We saw that this past year. We saw the surprise and awe of the success of Cocaine Bear. We saw the surprise and awe of the success of Barbie. Um, And so thinking about this in terms of um, just the kind of shock that, oh, women do go to the movies. And so you'd see like, uh, this was in 2010s, you'd see another set of articles beyond the celebration that was like, Women go to the movies, look at them turning movies into event pictures. I saw so many articles like this is like the Super Bowl for women about sex in the city, the film. I'm as I always say this, I act like the second one doesn't exist because um, it's it's hor- it's horrible. Uh, but the first one did really, really well. And you uh, thinking about that in terms of always through masculine lens, always through comparison or of, of like what is the kind of the model of success, which is like a male driven some kind of action, whatever film. Um, but then the turn, so it goes from like devaluing under, under- underestimating to celebration to, um, to like realization and like, Oh my gosh, when we go to the movies, this is great to ultimately the effect. And there's always the, the effects added to it. And we've seen art, we've already seen conversations about Barbie like this, that, well, what's the effect going to be like, what is this going to do for female driven films what is this going to do for female directors is this going to open the gate and the studios are going to start hiring all these women it's going to be great what is this going to do for the genre what is this going to do for the studio i do a whole section on wonder woman in there uh wonder woman also was underestimated in certain ways like they knew i mean clearly one of the most famous superheroes of all time uh very difficult kind of history production history of it just getting through development various iterations um and just the kind of like, they, they, they were like, Oh, it'll, it'll do fine. Like it, there was just kind of just like a, it it's going to do good, but it's not going to do good numbers. And then when it got bigger and bigger and bigger in the summer of 2017, it went through the amnesia loop of that kind of underestimating to, um, celebration to what's the, what's going to be the wonder woman effect. And so ultimately that's a really good example of, it was a high, a very bankable movie. It did great globally. Um, and then the question was, what does this mean for Patty Jenkins? What does this mean the director? What does this mean for all women directors? What does this mean for superhero movies? What does this mean for the DCEU? May it rest in peace. May. What does this mean for Warner Brothers? Is it going to save Warner Brothers? And so it was just like this whole thing that eventually, once they move on to another shiny object, they forgot that. And then how quickly we moved to the second movie where they, they rushed it. They rushed that movie out. That script was not ready and uh then when COVID hit they threw it on sc- streaming they just kind of threw it on streaming and then like where are we now so that's that's the amnesia loop and, and, that leads,
0: <laughs> and that leads me to my last question which is is one that's it's very speculative right but obviously you finished this book months ago because of the nature of academic publishing um well it came out months ago and then you finished it months before that um so i i'm curious you know amidst say um The social media push I'm sure you saw at the turn of the new year of, um, you know, encouraging black women to go see the color purple or the reception of um, Barbie and May, December and uh, NIAD getting these Oscar nominations, and did it step in the way of, um, you know, Margo getting her Oscar nomination that Annette Bening got hers? Um, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on on the female-driven film at this moment, and where do you fall between optimism, fury, cynicism, ambivalence about um, the kind of the state of the industry?
1: This is a really good question. Uh, I could We could talk about this forever, because I love, like, the examples you're giving, right? Um, it's not, I mean, it's not a zero-sum game. Like you, you don't, you know, like uh, this idea that, well, I mean, I guess this, I have a lot of things to say about this. If you want to talk about the Oscars, I have a lot of things to say about this. Uh, But yeah, thinking about this, I'm, I I think because I'm an optimistic kind of person in general, I try to remain hopeful um, in terms of the types of movies that are being released and the attention they're getting, and what's possible. So on the optimistic side, um, the fact that you know, I know that people had diff- very, very differing feelings about Barbie. Um, the fact that that movie got made um, at that budget level and was so successful itself is something that I'm, I just found really, really exciting. I know it doesn't speak to everyone. Um, it, I think, it tried to do everything. And so that is that's how people were frustrated uh, with that. But um, that type of movie that was both personal and also very big and that was IP driven, but also was very much about um, different ideas about uh, girlhood and consumerism and feminism, uh, you know. Uh, so the the fact that it was made is exciting to me. Um, I think that I'd imagine that Greta Gerwig will get her, you know, like her Check cashed for like what she wants to do next but I also am hesitant and at the at the effect like what's the Barbie effect like you know the Barbie effect so far looks like Mattel is going to take a bunch of IP and they're gonna like go to just run with it like the effect is that uh, Mattel's now going to be developing an American girl doll movie in various American girl doll movies not the straight to DVD like they did before but like theatrical releases so that part of me is like cynical in terms of that, because it's like, what lessons are you learning from this? Um, at the same time, you have something like um, Past Lives come out um, last year. One of my favorite movies of last year, absolutely beautiful, incredible movie. I'm you know, still thinking about it, like sobbed in a theater when I watched it. Um, but, you know, what are the lessons going to be learned from that? Like there were some, I think it was mostly snubbed by the Oscars, right? Like, I don't think, I mean,
0: yeah, I think was it maybe Best Picture was the only one that it...
1: I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like Barbie. It's like here you go. I mean, Barbie got like eight nominations.
0: So let's be honest. Like you know,
1: that that's 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 a complicated thing in terms of like the two women who are most responsible for bringing Barbie to to fruition uh, creatively. Margaret Robbie is a producer. Best Picture got nominated, but not as an actress. And you know, Greta Gerwig is the co-writer, but not the director. Um, yeah, I mean, I just feel like we're having the same conversations was just kind of in a new moment from a new position. So I, I'm hesitant. I'm optimi- optimistically hesitant. Is that a, I, I don't want to be cynical yet, um, but we'll see. <laughs> I'm optimistically hesitant to where we're moving forward. But you know, there were some, my favorite movies last year were female driven movies. Like Origin was one of my favorite movies of last year. I just, I saw that at TIFF and I just, it's incredible. I'm amazed that Ava DuVernay got, funding for that but she also got funding outside the studio system because the studios were like no no you want wait you want to do what you want to look at like structural racism what like, what is this like you want to talk about like you want to adapt a non-fiction book to like a narrativized like fictional version about caste so it's also reinforcing the like this is not going to get made right this complex uh intersectionally you know like focused um female driven film so it's like yeah i don't know i people always ask me like what's the solution or am i optimistic and i'm like i'm optimistic somewhat um but i'm also seeing that like we're not getting the huge wave of change that was and and uh, from all these pressure points that were happening in the 2010s um time's up imploded um me too didn't had a localized effect, but I don't know, you know, how, how much sustainable, right? So all these like promises that the studios were making in terms of gender equity and, and, and racial equity and things like that. Um, I will be, I will celebrate them when they're more, if, if it's actually like a long-term sustainable, because that's what ultimately, um, you know, gestures or optical, like optics, aren't going to change the system, right? And just like how I structure the book from development to distribution, there are, there are issues and challenges and barriers and gaps at every single phase. And so um, solutions have to come at all levels and across industry-wide.
0: Well, and I think your book does a really great job of not only mapping those out and examining them, but giving us language and... Um ways forward for how do we study this right um and and i really look forward to seeing how others take it up well thank you so much for your time today courtney the book is the value gap female driven films from pitch to premiere available now from the university of texas press and other online booksellers this is pete kunzi and this has been new books in media uh on the new books network thank you for listening and we hope you'll join us again next time